Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is everything you need for tips, tricks, and things to just be generally awesome. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm your host, Claire. And this is RDH Bites. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of RDH Bites. This is your host, Amanda Mitchell. And today, we have a special guest, Fatima Datu. She is a professor of dental hygiene, and she went to the University of British Columbia and has her master's degree in post-secondary education from Memorial University. She is a full-time dental hygiene educator at Georgian College in Ontario. And Fatima, I'm so excited to have you here today. You and I both have a passion for education and dental hygiene. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. So what are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to learn about the six different sections that you see in a clinical research paper. So whenever we're researching about a new topic, a new dental related topic, one of the best ways for us to find evidence-based research is to go to journal articles. And so when you read journal articles, it's very typical for us to get overwhelmed. But if you can figure out the different sections that are within the journal articles, and if you can dive down and just, you know, separate them into those sections and understand each section individually, you should be able to have a better sense of what the journal article is trying to portray. So it's really important to know the different major sections within the journal articles, and that's what we're going to look at today. Perfect. So I think I heard a collective... (gasps) Kind of like a (laughs) overwhelming fear as soon as we said research paper, right? As faculty, we know this is kind of the bane of the student's existence. They hate writing research papers, but it's a really important part of their education. So tell me a little bit more about why we're learning about this. What are we learning by writing and understanding the contents of these papers? Mm -hmm. So many times I know... When I give my students assignments, they're supposed to write a paper and they have to follow the same outline. They have to follow, they have to write an abstract, an introduction, a methodology, results, discussion, conclusion. They have to follow the exact same outline that you would see in a journal research paper. So this topic is so important. It's really important to understand what each section stands for because tomorrow when you're out there in the real world and you're, you know, researching papers, you need to be able to really understand what is an abstract? What is an introduction? What is a material and method? section? What is the result? So it's really important to have a very thorough understanding of those sections because as dental hygienists, we're always going to be doing evidence-based research. We're always going to be looking at journals, reading journals consistently. Our patients are going to be asking us questions. We're going to have to refer to the journals to grab those information and we don't want to be overwhelmed. So if we can understand those six major sections, we should be able to grasp the major, the main information and present that to our client our patients. Perfect. Yeah, I love the way you broke that down because evidence-based research is so often glanced over in school, in practice, and we really need to understand what that is and how to employ it in our practices if we want to be the best providers that we can be. So tell me a little bit, you know, do you have a story or something that really kind of put you on to this subject? What made you interested in this subject? Yeah, so I'm sure all of us at some point have had patients come to us and say, well, I don't want the fluoride treatment. Is fluoride really necessary? And that this has been like a, you know, a huge debate and 
today clients are still against fluoride. And so sometimes I would actually bring evidence-based paper articles and I would have that as a reference and I would use that to educate my clients on why fluoride is actually beneficial. Of course, being empathetic towards their feelings as well, because they do have strong feelings about fluoride. There could be questions about like, you know, what type of toothbrush is better? Is the manual toothbrush better or is the electric toothbrush better? Again, you can't go to Google for that. You have to use evidence-based research. So you have to go to a journal article and find that. Is there a link between gum disease and diabetes? Is there a link between periodontal disease and diabetes? Again, find evidence-based research to do that. So when you're looking for evidence-based research, when you're looking for journal articles, you'll be, when you read them, you'll see those six major sections that we'll talk about it. And it's important to know what they mean, what those six major sections are. Agreed. I think it's really important to understand where those sections come in for us making clinical decisions and educating our patients. I know nine times out of 10, when a patient says they don't want a treatment or they don't want something used like fluoride, their information is coming from social media or blog posts. And it's important for us to know how to tell them why the evidence-based research is more credible than a blog post. So Yes, totally agree with you. Exactly. So why don't we go ahead and break down the parts? What are the parts that we're talking about for a clinical research paper? Right. Good. So the first thing when you see a research paper, the first thing that you would see right after the title and the author is the abstract. And the abstract is basically just a short summary of the research paper. So it's usually anywhere from 100 to you know 500 words. It's really short. And it just tells you everything about what is the study going to be about? How did they do the study? What was the result of the study? And what was the main conclusion of the study? So the abstract is a short summary. And many times, I'm going to be honest, when I'm reading through so many journal articles, the first thing I do is I look at the abstract because in the abstract it's a paragraph and it just tells me everything I need to know all the important parts that I need to know in the abstract so that's the first section so every clinical paper every journal article has an abstract which is a short summary of the research paper and students the abstract I just want to point out that as a faculty member the abstract is not sufficient enough for you to write a research paper on it is a great tool for you to determine whether or not you want to use an article for your research paper. However, it doesn't give you the full picture. It's just a snapshot of the, you know, quick overview of the whole article to make sure it's something you want to use. So what's next? What's the next part? Yes. Uh, and I'm actually glad you said that because many students, they'll just look at the abstract and write their whole research paper based on what they just see at the abstract. But, you know, we as faculty, we, we pick on that right away. So it's really important that you read the third, the entire paper, as opposed to just the abstract and write your research paper by just looking at the abstract. So I'm glad you brought that up. The next part is introduction. An introduction just tells you the purpose of the study. It tells you why the study is important and how it will contribute to the overall body of the scientific knowledge. So it just tells you what the purpose of the paper is or purpose of the study is and how it will contribute to the scientific knowledge. So that's the introduction. Great. I think of the introduction kind of as like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Whenever I start a presentation or a CE topic or a paper, what's the point? What are you asking? What are you researching? And that should be well established in the introduction. Right. And you know how when we're writing essays, we'll, we'll always say, okay, what's your thesis statement? Like that all kind of from when you're writing papers, that's all in your introduction section. So in your introduction section, your thesis statement or the point of, you know, what's the point of doing the study is found in the introduction. Great. So what's part three? 
Yeah, materials and methods, also known as methodology. So methodology, sometimes it's known as methodology, sometimes other researchers will say materials and methods, and that's just a section on where they tell you how they're doing the research. So how are they getting their subjects? How are they getting people to come forward? What treatment are they giving them? What design, what study design are they using? Are they using a meta-analysis study? Are they using a cohort study, a case control study? There's many different designs. Are the subjects being blinded? As in, do the subjects know what treatment they're getting or do the subjects have no idea what treatment they're getting? So there's many different things that is listed in the material and methodology section, which tells you how the study is being done. Great. So, so far we've had a snapshot of the whole paper section for what's the point, And now we're telling the reader how we are researching this question or this thesis statement. Exactly. And the methodology section, you really want to read it carefully because uh, you want to make sure they're using the appropriate sampling techniques. You want to make sure that there's no bias involved. So all, when you read the methodology section carefully, make sure that there's no bias involved. That will tell you that. It will tell you that in the methodology section. You kind of have to read between the lines to determine whether there is bias or not. Okay, listeners, so if you have not checked out Fatima's first episode, this is a great point to do so where she talks about sampling and how to tell whether or not it is biased. All right, moving forward, results. This is what I'm really interested in. Tell me about the results section. So when we're reading papers, sometimes we'll see so many tables and graphs and, and, and those tables and those graphs are all in the results section. The results section, what that does is it summarizes the study's findings. So you'll see tables, you'll see graphs, you'll see uh, lots of numbers perhaps. Those are all found in the results section. And all the results do is they summarize the study's findings, but they do not interpret the data. So the researcher does not, will not write in the results section about why they think this is the result. It just, they'll just literally tell you the result. They'll present it either visually with graphs or with tables or with numbers. But the results section is just a summarization of the study's findings. The reason why I say they don't interpret the data is because the next section, so following the results, is the discussion. And in the discussion, that's where you'll find the author's interpretation of the study results. So that's where the authors will say how the results fits within the existing body of scientific knowledge, how the results address the clinical significance. What's very common in the discussion section is the limitations of the study. So if there's anything that went wrong, if there's any weaknesses in the study, in the discussion section is where the researcher will say, you know, one example is, this study was not a long-term study. This study was just done short-term. And that's a limitation. So all limitations would be addressed in the discussion section. Great. You bring up a great point there, the limitations of a study. Due to the limitations, can we accept this as valid and as applicable to whatever we were studying? One other thing I want to bring up in this section for students and practitioners alike, during the discussion, they mention further study. If anything is required, you know, to study further, to learn more about that's a great thing to look at because there are probably studies related to that out there that we can use to supplement our research. Yeah, very good point. So within the discussion section, you will also see that the researcher will note different topics. They'll suggest topics for further research. That is also found in the discussion section. Thanks for bringing that up. Definitely. Okay, so we've gotten through abstract, introduction, methodology, results, and discussion. What's next? So we have two more, and that second last one is conclusion. And the conclusion is honestly just like the author's conclusion uh, from the study, and it should be directly related to the research question or hypothesis, and it, it just summarizes the entire findings in, in a short paragraph. 
So in conclusion, it's basically, it wraps up the entire paper and they put it into a conclusion section. It's the author's conclusion of the study. And when you read the conclusion, what's important to note is you want to make sure that, that the results support the conclusion. Did the conclusion actually answer the research questions? You want to, when you check the conclusion, look for those. Did the results support the conclusion? Did the conclusion answer the research question that was posed in the introduction? Great. And students, when you are writing a clinical research paper or a journal article, it's important that you don't include any new information in the conclusion. The conclusion should only restate, summarize, and conclude your paper. We shouldn't be throwing in any new research or findings at that point. Excellent point. Yes. And then the last section is your references. And the references list sources of information cited within the research paper. And what's important with the references is whatever format you're told, so if you're told APA format, make sure you know how to do the APA format, MLA format, Vancouver style format. There's many different formats out there, but be consistent. But when you're reading the references from a journal article, one of the things that I do is I check to see if the references that they have used, are they recent? Are they up to date? Because sometimes I'll have references from like 1980s, which is way too old. I want recent references. I want up-to-date references. So when you're looking at references, look at the year that journal article was used. Because if it's a recent year, it's more credible. The more recent the paper, the more credible the information is in that paper. That is such a good point. And, you know, students, sometimes research doesn't change. When we talk about anatomy or something that was established a long time ago about white blood cells, things like that, those might have, you know, older resources. However, it's always best to use an article, I say within five years. Mm -hmm. If we're really, you know, going for any current research, I say within five years. The only time I make an exception if it's, you know, if it's about a well-established point. And those are kind of the outliers. I don't really like to allow those exceptions. Within five years is the general rule of thumb. Agreed. Yes, exactly. So when you're doing papers, make sure there are, when you go to journal articles on in your school's library, there are filters where you can filter for the last five years. So use those filters to your advantage so that you get the most recent studies when, you're, when the results are being populated. I love it. I love writing research papers, <laughs> which I know not a lot of people do. I love reading them, writing them, sharing them. Tell me a little bit about how this fits into dental hygiene school. Students think we're punishing them, that we make them write these papers for our enjoyment. I promise you that is not why. So Fatima, tell us a little bit about the importance of these in the educational setting. Yes, so the reason why we make you write them is because I feel like once you write a paper, then you can really understand and appreciate reading journal articles. Because once you follow those format about how to write an abstract, you know, methodology, results, discussion, conclusion, and so forth, the next time you read a paper, you would appreciate it more. You would have a more solid understanding of, oh, this is what an abstract is. This is what a methodology is. So it's there to help you appreciate those journal articles. It's helps you to understand what those researchers are doing behind the scenes. It's not easy writing research papers. And once you actually go through it yourself, you'll appreciate it more. Definitely. You'll appreciate it and you'll be able to tell your patients why it's important, why it matters to your practice and to their health. So I want to go over a multiple choice question. I'll go ahead and read the question and the options and then we'll wait a few seconds and have you give us the answer. So the blank summarizes the study's findings. A. Abstract. B, methodology, 
C, results, and D, discussion. So which of these summarizes the study's findings? Abstract, methodology, results, or discussion? And Fatima, what is our answer? So I'm hoping you guys all thought of results because result is the answer. So let's go over the options that was provided. Abstract does not summarize the study's finding. Abstract is just a short summary of the paper. It doesn't summarize it. The other option that was given was methodology. Methodology just provides technical information on, you know, the materials and the methods. It tells you how the study was done, but it does not summarize the study's findings. The results, so that's the answer. The results summarize the study's finding. And remember, when you look at the results, that's what your tables are. That's what your graphs are. And in the results, they don't introduce any interpretations of the data. Rather, in the discussion, that's where the interpretations of the data are included. So that's where you'll see limitations, that's where you'll see further research, that's the further research topics, that's where you'll also see what the author's interpretation of the results are. Great. Well, I think this was super useful and students, RDHs, whoever's listening today, we are going to provide you with a checklist that has a short description of each section so that when you're reading or writing research papers or journal articles, you have that kind of as a, you know, I don't want to call it a cheat sheet, but it's your guide where you can use it as a checklist and make sure you understand each part of the resource. Fatima, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun for me to talk about you know, writing, reading research. It's a, you know, a hobby of mine, which I guess is not normal, but (laughs) I just want to say thank you so much. Your students are so lucky to have you as a faculty member, and we can't wait to have you back and work with us some more at Student RDH. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Great. Well, enjoy your day. Try to survive this heat wave, and we'll talk to you next time. I know. Listeners, thank you so much for coming today. We will see you next week for another episode of RDH Bites. Hey, everybody. This is your co-host, Amanda, with a quick announcement. Have you looked at our VIP package yet? This has everything you need to help pass your national board exam. Whether you live in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere, our VIP package has something for everybody. We have recorded lectures, live lectures, curated and calibrated content, made just for you to help you pass. Visit us today at studentrdh.com to sign up and for more information. See you next time.